I would love to speak to you today about how to be happy, how to be happy. And we're going to look at this wonderful passage, Matthew 28, starting at verse 1. So after the Sabbath, at dawn, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. He has risen just as he said. Seven words which change everything forever. Seven words which give a hope of happiness in this life and a hope of happiness beyond this life. Seven words which have completely transformed my life. Simon Gathicle, an academic at the University of Cambridge, who's an expert in the evidence surrounding Jesus' life, said this in the Guardian newspaper. There is abundant historical evidence beyond all reasonable doubt that Jesus lived and died. The really interesting question is, did he die and live? And people often ask me, why do you believe? Why do you have faith in Jesus? And I can sum it up in these seven words. He has risen just as he said. I believe because of the evidence of Jesus' resurrection and because of my experience of the truth of his words. That evidence and my experience compels me to believe. It really happened. Jesus really rose from the dead. I worked as a criminal defence barrister for uh, seven years. And so every day for years, I spent my time looking at evidence, weighing evidence, assessing evidence, cross-examining witnesses to try and get to the truth. Over those years, I represented hundreds, maybe over a thousand people accused of crimes. It's great to see so many of you here today. And... (laughs) But when I looked at the evidence that Jesus rose from the dead, I found it compelling. When I read the eyewitness accounts of Jesus' resurrection, it hit me. These people are telling the truth. And you might be thinking today, well, why why is that? Why why would you believe that? What what is so special about this evidence? Why should I place my confidence in this? And so I'm going to, at the start of this talk, just give you three very quick reasons why I believe that Jesus rose from the dead. And I'm going to give them to you in such a way that you'll be able to remember them. If you're on Wednesday, you're in a queue for Starbucks, whatever, someone turns around and says, do you know why Jesus rose from the dead? You're going to go, yes, I do. I've got three quick reasons, okay? So you're going to remember them, okay? And I'm going to ask you to use your voice and your hands. Okay, so this is interactive, kinetic learning. I hope it helps some people here today. So the first reason I believe Jesus rose from the dead is because Jesus was absent from the tomb on Easter day. Jesus was not in the tomb. Jesus wasn't in the tomb. 
So my, my, my easy way of describing this, so you remember it, I want you all to lift your hands up like this. That's it. Oh, that's a lot of good audience participation there and on the balconies. And um, I want you to imagine you're looking into a tomb. So this, is your, this is a tomb. And you're looking in, okay, like this. Okay, so Jesus wasn't in the tomb, okay? So that's how you're going to remember it on Wednesday in Starbucks. Um, so Jesus was absent from the tomb. The tomb was sealed on the order of Pilate, the governor, the Roman governor. And he said, make it secure as you know how, as secure as you know how. It was guarded by a troop of Roman soldiers. And when the women came to the tomb, the stone was rolled away. Jesus' body wasn't there. Now it's worth saying, the stone wasn't rolled away so Jesus could get out. The stone was rolled away so people could see in. So they could see that Jesus wasn't there. Jesus could get out, no problem about that. And no one has ever really had a satisfactory explanation for how Jesus' body was absent from the tomb on Easter Day. The authorities wouldn't have taken the body. They were doing all they could, all their power enabled them to do, to try and ensure the body stayed in the tomb because they wanted to prove that Jesus wasn't the Son of God, as he claimed. It couldn't have been the disciples because it was guarded and sealed. And just look at what the disciples had to go through for what they were believed. They had to be tortured, imprisoned, died. Why would they have been willing to go through that, to suffer and die for something which they would have known if they took the body was, was not true? And, and some people say, well, what about robbers? Well, robbers are the least likely of all. Because what they found when they came into the tomb was that the grave clothes, the only valuable thing for the robbers to take, had been left on the side. And the headpiece which had been around Jesus' head had been folded up and put in a different place. And when the disciples saw that, they believed. So the first thing is Jesus was absent from the tomb. Can we have it up? Jesus was not in the tomb. Okay, so we're all going to say this, and this is like not a six or a seven, this is like a ten or an eleven, okay? So with one voice, on the count of three, get your hands ready, so you remember, okay, hands ready, we're going to say together, Jesus was not in the tomb. That's right, he wasn't. But secondly, Jesus was present with people. After Jesus rose from the dead, he appeared on eleven... It's quite hard to 11. You know, 11 separate occasions, on one occasion to more than 500 people. I have never done a case in all those years which rested on the eyewitness evidence of more than about 30 people. Do you know why that is? Because once you get about 30 pe- above 30 people eyewitness saying this is what happened, it kind of becomes indisputable. People kind of plead guilty. They don't say, oh, those 30 people are wrong, they must have missed something. Here we have 500 people who all saw the same thing. I mean, do you know how many 500 people is? It's this many people down here on the ground floor. People on the balconies, that's how many people Jesus appeared to at the same time. People downstairs, look around. That's how many people Jesus appeared to on one occasion. He appeared on 11 separate occasions. So use your hands. You're going to have to do this. not very easy. 10 plus 1. 10 plus 1, 10 plus 1. Okay, you got that? And how many hundreds? Not 100, not 200, not 300, not 400, but 500. Okay, so you're going to have to be really quick, okay? 10 plus 1 plus 5. Okay, great, you got it, brilliant. (laughs) They saw him, they ate with him, they spoke with him, they touched him. He still bore the marks of the cross. It was Jesus. Jesus, all together now, not a 6, not a 7, but a 10. Jesus was with people. Okay. But then finally, seeing Jesus changed people. Look at the immediate impact. Jesus' followers were distraught. They were afraid. They were despairing. They were hiding. 
And then three days after Jesus' death, something happened which meant they were willing to go around and to tell everyone Jesus was alive, even at the risk of of imprisonment. And then we've got the witness of countless millions of people through the ages, people of every race, every ethnic group, every nation, every socioeconomic range, people from all generations testifying together of this experience of the risen Jesus. What happens is, you know, people are like this, and when Jesus comes, it's a different thing. People have been terrified when they see the risen Jesus, they're bold. People have been scared and hiding when they see the risen Jesus, it's different. People are facing all sorts of stuff in their life. You might be facing stuff today, but when you encounter the risen Jesus, something changes. Okay? So can we have our hands up? Well done. You're going to remember this on Wednesday. Keep Starbucks or Pret, wherever you go. Um, Let's say it together. One voice. Seeing Jesus changed people. So that's the evidence. I find that evidence compelling. When I looked at it, when I looked at the eyewitness accounts, it changed my life. But then the second reason I believe is because of the impact of encountering the risen Jesus. The impact that has had on my life. What's that impact? Well, firstly, the resurrection has given me confidence. Confidence. Confidence can't be abstract. It has to be attached to something. A person or an event. And I have great confidence in Jesus because of an event. You know, it's worth saying that the resurrection is not just an incident, it's an identity. It's not just an event, it's a person. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. You want to know what, Je- what resurrection is? Look at Jesus. And I have great confidence in Jesus because of the resurrection. Jesus said, I'm the son of God. He said, I'm going to die for your sins. He said, I'm going to rise after three days. It matters who Jesus is and it matters whether he said what he said he'd do. And actually the fact he did what he said he was going to do demonstrates the truth about who he said he is. When I started working as a barrister, I was just uh, 23 years old and I looked about 16 actually and... um, and that wasn't so bad when you're in Crown Court because you get to wear like a, a, a wig with grey hair and you get to wear a gown. And so you look a bit older anyway. Um, and, 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 so you, and also you can't really wear a wig and a gown unless you're a barrister. So it kind of proves that you're a barrister. But some courts, like the magistrate's courts, when you turn up, you'd just be wearing a suit. So it's me looking 16, turning up. And I'd always dread the question, you know, like how old are you or something like that. That was my least favourite way um, to speak to a client when they asked that. But one particular day, I, very early on, I was sent at the last minute to represent someone in the magistrate's court and I turned up and I looked at this guy and I instantly knew that he had far more experience of the criminal justice system than I did. <laughs> and he came forward, he looked at me, he looked angry because he'd been waiting for a while, he looked if I'm honest, quite disappointed that I was going to be representing him and a little bit confused. And I said, hello, I'm your barrister. And his first words to me were, how old are you? And um, I was thinking, well, I'm not buying alcohol. I don't have any idea on me. Like, you know, I'm just, I'm representing you. And then, and then he said, well, how, I said, you know, I'm 23. And he said, well, how, how long does it take you to train? And I said, like, oh, that's, uh, you really aren't convinced that I'm a barrister. Um, and I said, well, it takes a few years. And he was kind of doing the maths in his head, like, has this guy actually qualified or have been passed off with a work experience student? Um, and this is the context in which I was meeting him before we were about to go into court. And we had to rush into court. So I said, look, I don't have a lot of time to discuss this. We can talk about it later. But I just want you to know, I, I feel like there might be a slight flaw in the prosecution case. I'll do the best I can. We got, we got a chance of maybe, um, 
getting the case dismissed, but I, I can't make any promises. We'll see what you can do. And he just looked at me as if to say, what? And um, we went into court. I was just about to get up to speak. I turned around again. He was like looking at me like, like who is this guy? Really unhappy. This kind of thing gives um, you great confidence when you're representing someone, actually. And, uh, and then the judge came in. He sat down. He looked across at me and he said, Mr. Foster, are you representing the defendant? And I stood up and I said, Yes. <laughs> got that right and, um, and he, said, he said well it seems to me there's, there's, a, there's a flaw in the prosecution case wouldn't you agree I said yes and he said so I think the right thing for me to do is just to dismiss the entire prosecution case and acquit your client would you agree I said yes <laughs> he said very well case dismissed I turned around the client was like <laughs> he came up to me he shook my hand as hard as anyone has ever shaken it he said, are you free next week? I've got a few more cases. I think I'm... <laughs> now, it mattered I was a barrister, and it mattered I did what I said I was going to do. And the fact we actually managed to do what I said I was going to do probably gave him slightly more confidence that I was a barrister. If you go into hospital for an operation, someone comes up to you and says, I'm your surgeon. If you wake up in a few hours and the operation's gone well, you're probably pretty certain that they are in fact a surgeon. If you get on a plane and the pilot says, I'm your pilot, the fact you land safely at your destination gives you confidence. Oh yeah, that person probably was a pilot. It matters. And what's interesting is that Jesus says, he says, I am the son of God. I'm going to die for your sins and I'm going to rise again. The fact he rose again proves he is the Son of God. It proves that he did die for you. That the Son of God loved you and gave himself for you. And if you ever doubt that, if you've never heard that before, it might be you've never heard that the Son of God loves you and gave himself for you. If you want to know that, look at the cross. But if you want to know that the cross worked, that it's not just a nice idea, it's not just a good example of sacrifice, or a powerful symbol. It actually shifted something in the fabric of our universe. Look at the resurrection. Jesus is risen. Jesus is alive. It means he is who he said he is. And every word he spoke is true and sure. And you can take it to the bank. You can be forgiven, redeemed, restored, set free. The resurrection gives you confidence. But it also gives you joy. I think it's interesting that in this passage, the soldiers are afraid. The women, though, they feel a bit of fear, are filled with joy. Why? Because resurrection releases joy. Why? Because if Jesus has risen, it means he's defeated death. That he, he can take us through death into new life. It means that no matter what you face, you face it with hope. And hope breeds joy. You know, hope means your failures don't finish you and your successes don't seduce you. You know something greater lies ahead. If Jesus is risen, you need fear nothing and no one. However it looks for you today, resurrection tells you God isn't finished with you yet. Your biggest failures can be turned for good. Your greatest successes will never be lost and your best days lie ahead of you. Resurrection gives you joy because weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Resurrection gives you joy, but also resurrection gives you power. The spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you. We have his incomparably great power. 
the same as the working of his mighty strength in raising Jesus from the dead. The resurrection has within it the promise of power. We have on the inside of us the same power that raised Jesus from dead to life. And that power is at work, transforming this world, transforming you, transforming your relationships, transforming the city through us. You have resurrection power. Why don't you turn to your neighbor and tell, just encourage them this morning, say, you have resurrection power. You have resurrection power. You have resurrection power. And do you know what resurrection power does? Let me tell you this morning. Let me tell you on Resurrection Sunday what resurrection power does. It turns despair into hope. It turns sorrow into joy. It turns wounds into marks of glory. It turns weakness into strength. It turns disgrace into vindication. It turns the very thing which seemed to seal defeat into the moment of victory. Resurrection power sets people free from addictions, from fears. It transforms families, it restores relationships, it sets people free, it transforms workplaces, schools and universities. Resurrection power brings the prodigals home to the family. It shows people who Jesus really is. And through you, it says to this sister... And through you, it says to this city, it says to London right now in 2018, don't settle... For the empty promises of success or power or wealth. Because the risen Jesus offers you something far greater. Life and life in all its fullness. Resurrection life. And the promise of eternity with him. And let me tell you, I had this real sense. You might be here today and you might have come here just to keep someone happy. You know, you just came to keep someone happy. I need to tell you, I don't want you to miss out. The only happiness that is at stake today is yours. You know, I've made mistakes. I've messed up more times than I care to remember. I've hurt people, people I love. I've got regrets. Lots of regrets. But I have never regretted for a single moment placing my trust in Jesus Christ and experiencing that confidence, that peace, that joy, that power. Because I realize Jesus is who he said he is. He did what he said he was going to do. He is risen just as he said. He is alive. And right here today, we can come to him. We can encounter him. We can worship him just as they did on that first Easter Sunday. Why? Because he is risen, just as he said, in Jesus' name. Amen.